Can you imagine actually being one of the few people that survived the Holocaust, the worst atrocity in history? Buckle on up as you are about to hear chilling stories and yet still messages of hope from one of the youngest survivors still alive. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast, where we interview remarkable world-class experts that help bring out the greatness within you. Top book authors, super successful business people, and outstanding special guests that will motivate and inspire you with their incredible, uplifting stories and life-changing tips and strategies. Our goal is your success. If you desire more out of life, you've dialed into the right show. So fasten your seatbelts, friends, and let's get ready for some high-octane motivation. Now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest today is a Holocaust survivor and one of the youngest survivors alive today. He has transformed from a survivor to a motivational speaker, and I could relate to that. Few people on this earth have gone through the atrocities he faced when he was just a child. And he was able to transform himself from a victim into an agent of social change with his speeches to tens of thousands of youth and at major Holocaust archive institutions. He is dedicated to reaching as many young people as he can nationally and internationally, promoting tolerance. And hopefully his goal is that they will make it a better world for themselves, their children and their grandchildren. Welcome to The Motivation Show, Sammy Steichman. Hey, I'm very honored to be here. Before I start, I want to say one thing which is very important. We have been through and are still going through a very, very difficult time period. I live solo in Manhattan. And if you know Manhattan, there's very little room to walk. So I was for practical purposes, okay, on house arrest for over eight months. Okay, but what I want to tell everybody else was to stay me throughout life and was to stay me throughout this virus is my positive outlook in life. But before I will go further, I just want to say one thing. Everybody talks about COVID-19, but please remember there's another virus that is much more dangerous. And that is the virus of the anti-Semitism. That is the virus of bigotry. That is the virus of hate and the virus of ideology. It cannot be eradicated and we will talk about it, okay, because this is a very, very dangerous okay, virus. Well, let's go right into that topic then. Let's talk about this virus of anti-Semitism and also let's talk about the virus of racism and hate in general because it's all intertwined. Tell us your points of view on that. Well, you can put any legislation that you want on the books. You cannot legislate how people feel. Racism, like I said, anti-Semitism, hatred, ideology cannot be eradicated. It can be done only through one way, what's and that? that is education. Okay. And unfortunately, what's happening right now in this country, okay, instead of education, what we really have is people being programmed. 
and they are taught the wrong things. But I have two problems that we have to deal with. Number one is the fact that our leaders are teaching the young people not to take responsibility. Take a look what's happening in this country. Everybody blames everybody else. And I will tell you something about personal by myself. And the other thing, the other issue is people have forgotten how to disagree in a civil way. And I believe very strongly in a dialogue. So we should not talk about slogans and not to be confrontational. Everybody today is uh, emotional, talking through emotion. And that's bring confrontation. We have to have a dialogue. That's a very good point that the emotions uh, give over and that's where people separate and they start to uh, dislike each other rather right. than using the mind. <laughs> that's a very good point. So what I want to do is really get into the Holocaust. And not a lot of people today really understand really what the Holocaust is all about. So take us back to when you were a kid and you were in the Holocaust. At what age were you involved? What was your experience? I belong to two generations. I'm a Holocaust survivor, but I'm also a child of Holocaust survivors. I was born in a city in an area called Bukovina, which was given to Romania. So therefore, we were not deported by the Germans. We were deported by the Romanians. And the camp, uh, I was there from 1941 to 1944. When the family was deported, I was only a year and a half. And I will tell you uh, how I survived. But what I want to emphasize is that in 1946, the Romanians allowed a small group of Jew, Jews, approximately 3,000, to repatriate. And my father was born in Romania proper. So he decided, okay, to choose the lesser of two evils. And he decided to go back to uh, Romania. That's where he grew up until 1961, when the whole family finally was able to go to Israel. Uh, although my father applied for it in 1949, in 1968, by myself, I came to the United States because I wanted to meet my uncle from 42 people. Only two survived, my father and my uncle. My uncle was not a survivor. My uncle was a refugee in Shanghai, China. So two people in the entire family survived, and, and you're the third? My father's side. On your father's side, I see. Right. From my mother's side, I don't know uh, too much. I met some uh, family members in Israel, but they were ultra-religious, so we did not really right. have a contact, and I don't know too much about uh, things on my mother's side. The uh, one thing that what I want to say is, if you will ask any survivor, how did you survive? Everybody will use only one word, What's luck. Mm. Yeah. And my luck was that I was never separated from my parents. Because I was so young, obviously, I could not work. So they did medical experiments on me. And after they finished with the medical experiments, they had no use for me. So eventually came a stage that I was dying of starvation. Just to give an example, in uh, Ukraine, former Soviet Union, the winter is bitterly cold. For a loaf of bread, my father gave away his winter coat. When came the stage that I was dying of starvation, there are physical signs, big hands, swollen stomach, swollen feet. 
And not far away from the camp, there was a farm owned by Germans. She brought food to the guards, the SS, and obviously she had uh, access to the camp, where she saw the physical signs that I'm dying of starvation at the risk, not of her own life, but at the risk of her entire family's life. She decided to give me milk. Wow. I don't know her name, but when I was six years ago in Israel, next to the Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum, there is the garden honoring 27,000 non-Jewish people that saved Jews, and they are called the righteous among the nations. And I was extremely happy to see a marker honoring the unknown righteous among the nations. So indirectly, the person that saved my life, okay, is honored. That's a remarkable story. So what age were you when you were in the camps? And can you explain the three different kinds of camps that actually existed at that time and one that you were in? Yes. Okay, uh, we have to differentiate between the three types of camps, and this is the concentration camp, where people were divided, who will live, who will die. There was the labor camp for, the, for practical purposes, you were a slave, and there were the dead camps. And in the dead camps, I want something to understand. Very few people know in 2013, there were two articles, one in New York Times, in one in the Daily Mail, actually, okay, in London. And what shocked me is that the Nazis and their collaborators had 42,500 different types of camps. And I want everybody to realize one thing. From all of those camps, only six were actually dead camps. Auschwitz-Birkenau, Treblinka, Belzec, Sobibor, Helmno and Majdanek. And I also want to make one other point, which is very important. I don't know about you. I don't know about the rest of the people that are watching the program. I personally cannot relate to 6 million. So to me, it's a number. We have to bring it to a common denominator. So I'll give an example. If you would stand on your foot and be silent for one minute for each Holocaust victim, you will be on your feet and silent between 11 and 11 and a half years. Yeah, that gives good perspective. Correct. And so what age were you in the camps? I, I was a year and a half when we were deported. In what year? 1941 to 1944. I see. Uh, and and uh, I was not even four years old when the camp was liberated. Now, the thing is, uh, people want to know about medical experiments. Until 1961, the Holocaust survivors did not speak. They felt guilty. They felt ashamed. They felt like victims, and they wanted the children to grow up a normal life. I did not know uh, until about I was, uh, until 1971, I did not know that I was subjected to medical experiments, but I was always in excruciating pain, but I'm coming from a generation that was very stoic, so you couldn't see it on my face. Even the doctors did not believe me, okay, when I complained about the problems. What's happening is that I suffered from head, neck, shoulder, and back issues. 
but it was not localized. Therefore, okay, they could not really find a specific cure. At the same time, the pain was constantly shifting. Okay, it could be in the lower back, okay, upper back, right, left. And they said intensity was changing. It could be seven, eight, or it could be a two and three. I had a friend of mine, a doctor. I used to live at that time in Milwaukee. And he took me to the hospital. And he said, I'm going to put you on traction. He did something for my neck, my back hurt. He did something for my back, my neck hurt. I said, can you do something that relieves the pain? <laughs> okay, simultaneously uh, everywhere. He said, no. So I said, thank you very much. You're my friend. I'm going home. So I used to be in uh, very powerful addictive medication, but I did not like the side effects. And about, uh, I would say 25, 30 years ago, I decided to learn to live without the painkillers. I did not get addicted because I used it for pain and not for recreation. It took me about close to one year, but today I do not use the painkillers. And how do you cope with the pain and deal with the pain? I learned to, to live with it. You learned to accept to, it? To, to some extent, what I do is I ignore it. Okay, well. <laughs> I, I mean, it's there. I like I that. Doing with it, I, I keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, because the doctor, he was a friend of mine, and I asked him, what do you suggest? And he said, he does not suggest uh, surgery because... For, for my back, because he said if something goes wrong, he can be crippled for life. Definitely did not want to do anything for my neck. Okay. So he said, okay, so what's your option? He said, I'll talk to you as a friend. As a doctor, you're not supposed to do anything. You're not even supposed to go to the sick. Okay. Because it will aggravate you whatever pain you have. However, as a friend, I'm telling you one thing. Do everything for as long as you can. And that's exactly what I do. So I just ignored the pain. So not many people who have ever lived have gone through such a traumatic experience growing up. How do you view Nazi Germany, Germany as a whole, and how do you not stay in a mindset of hate? First of all, I firmly believe that the children, grandchildren, are not guilty of what their parents or grandparents did. Uh, I was in Germany. And... As long as I lived with my parents, my father vowed to himself that he would never set foot in Germany, would never buy a German product, and I felt the same way. But only when I came to the United States and I lived by myself was I able to change my perspective. Okay, and I came to that uh, realization that the children are not guilty, and I was invited to go to Germany. My first reaction was, I'm not sure. But then I said, you know something, since I believe that, let me see how I will react. And I went over there, and it probably was one of the greatest experiences. And I uh, spoke in four major cities, and I told the kids, I want to make sure this is my mission here in Germany is different than the United States and any other country. I want to make sure that you will not feel guilty for what your parents or grandparents did. But do me a favor, okay? Do not follow in their footsteps. The other thing we were talking about motivation, I am saying the most important person in your life, maybe you'll be surprised, it's you. If you want to forgive somebody, 
First of all, learn to forgive yourself. If you want to respect somebody, respect yourself. You want to be kind to somebody, be kind to yourself. And to give an example, I've been kind to many people. There was one person that was not kind to me, that was me. If I made a mistake, boy, why did I do that? Okay. Uh, there is also a saying that we are prisoners of our own mind. What, uh, I don't know if you remember when the computers came out for the first time. And there was, okay, uh, a saying, guy go, garbage in, garbage out. Yes. What you put in your mind, that stays. You put in positive thoughts, okay, you will use positive words. You will have a positive attitude. You will have a better, happier life. You put negative thoughts, you will be a negative well, person. Sammy, you know, a lot of people understand that, but they just can't let go. They can't let go of past hurts, whether it's a family member, a friend, somebody who wronged them, somebody who said something bad, somebody who, who stole money from them. They can't let it go. They understand that they're hurting themselves, but they can't let it go. Speak to that. Well, let's go back to the thing that I said, okay, before. And that is taking responsibility. The people that put me in being homeless, these were people that I trusted with my life. And I have many reasons to be angry, to be bitter. But at the same time, I decided to take responsibility for my own actions. And I realized one thing, they are not guilty. These are people that I trusted. I gave them cash. Okay, prove well, it. Who are these people that you trusted? And when? Friends that I, friends that I trusted. Okay. I gave them cash. Prove it. I didn't put anything in writing. Prove it. So what I said, I took responsibility for it. And I said, they are not guilty. They took advantage of my stupidity. By taking responsibility, all of a sudden, I find myself in a free man. I don't have the need to blame circumstances. I don't have the need to blame anybody. If I would see, if I would see those people in the, on the street, they would say, hello, I will answer to them. They're complete strangers. Completely gone. How do you forgive yourself? That, okay, by taking responsibility. I made a mistake. I said, okay, I learned from it. Okay, maybe I was naive. Maybe I was too trusty, trustworthy. But I took a responsibility. And the only way you can do that, and this is one thing that really disappoints me, listen to the leaders, read the papers, radio, TV. Everybody blames somebody else. Nobody's, nobody is guilty of anything. Nobody takes responsibilities. Always circumstances are somebody else's fault. And this is the wrong lesson that they teach, our leaders teach the next generation. That's my personal opinion. So you speak to young people, uh, and that's your passion. Tell us your advice to young people. Okay, I have to tell you a story, it's very interesting. I think a uh, fifth grader asked me to summarize 72 years of life in two sentences. I have an answer because I don't like actually scripted. But I came home and I did not like it. And I said, how can I change that and make it into something that people can understand? And I decided to look 
at the three most important things in my life. Number one, uh, being a father. It's an experience, it's the greatest high that anybody can have, but you cannot teach it. That's something that everyone has to experience. Number two, I knew hate, but not hate from here. That's easy to recover. I had it from here. So not from the mind, from the heart. Correct. That's that's extremely difficult. And I've been able to overcome it. Okay. Obviously, I studied, I read a lot. I tried to understand where I'm coming from, self-analysis. But the interesting part is today, I'm unable to hate anybody. And the number three that may surprise you, besides having my son, which I cannot see, and I cannot see my grandchildren, doesn't allow me. The most important thing, besides having my son, is being homeless. If I would have not been homeless, I wouldn't be here today. You also uh, mentioned never to be a perpetrator, because anyone that hurts another intentionally and repeatedly is defined as a perpetrator. But most importantly, you have a a rule. Do you want to share that rule? Or should I share that? No, I can share it. uh, Because when somebody hurts somebody, you know, one time, that's not a perpetrator. It has to be done repeatedly and intentionally. But I don't want, when I go and I talk to especially with the young kids, okay, because I start with fourth graders, I tell them, I don't want you to be a perpetrator, okay? But at the same time, I don't want you to be a victim, okay? What I really, uh, as a victim, Okay, uh, I have a quote, which I tell them to be victimized is universal. Victimhood is optional. So what I'm saying is I don't want you to be a perpetrator. I want you to become an upstander. As also, I don't want you to be a bystander. As a bystander, you are part of the problem. And the Holocaust, in my opinion, can be summarized uh, with two things. It's number one, bullying. You can bully a person, you can bully a group of people. And also uh, by using words. And I will go into it later if you want to, because Joseph Gables, the propaganda minister under Hitler, said something that people do not understand or don't want to remember, don't want to understand. A lie told often enough becomes truth. Yeah. And that's what we have to do. That is my mission to teach young people to use the proper words. And I will give you an example later if you want to, okay, that uh, we should not perpetuate false narrative. When somebody tells a lie, we should be upstanders and say that is a lie. There are some stereotypes that people make about all ethnicities. And when the stereotype even in, as a joke, is said often enough. There are people who can't distinguish between the joke and the reality, and they start believing it. Correct. That's exactly what I'm uh, trying to say is, you know, if something, if, if something feels offensive, remember one thing, it is offensive. <laughs> if it does not feel right, okay? And, you know, some the jokes are the same stupid jokes that go from one group of people to another. Okay. They keep repeating themselves. It's just a different ethnic group. But uh, what I'm saying is we have to stand up. 
And if you want to, I can give you a couple of examples uh, that uh, has to do with United States and a couple of examples uh, that has to do with Israel, because I lived in Israel. I served in the Israeli Air Force and uh, I'm uh, a very proud uh, Jew. You Please go ahead. Speak? Please share that. Okay. I'm talking about leaders. I do not attack people, but I will attack what they say. And somebody said, okay, you probably know who I'm referring to, that Holocaust is happening in the world. And that is a lie. There is a big difference between genocide and Holocaust. And what's that? Genocide is made up of two words. Geno, which means group, side, murder. Side is used under infanticide, homicide, suicide. It's the murder of a group of people. But the Holocaust is a unique moment in history. In my personal opinion, it will never happen again. Some other people have a different opinion, but that's my opinion. It was sponsored by the state. Okay, the annihilation of one particular group of people. And those were the Jews. Initially, what they wanted to do uh, to annihilate the Jews from Europe, and once they were going to accomplish it, they wanted to open up a museum in Prague. And they were going to call it the Museum of the Extinct Jewish Race. So we have to remember something very important. Holocaust is not happening today. There is no ethnic group slated to be completely annihilated from the face of the earth. Genocide, that is happening. So when somebody, like the leader saying, they have a lot of follows, Okay, and if we don't stand up, the false narrative will be perpetuated and it will minimize the lessons that we can learn from the Holocaust. Yeah, I think the word Holocaust is thrown around too loosely by people today in a very silly way, which is an insult to those who went through that. Uh, and that's exactly yes. what I'm saying, that we have to differentiate and we have to teach the young people that there's a difference between Holocaust and genocide. Genocide is happening, unfortunately, in many places, not just in the world. Yeah, if somebody doesn't like a certain uh, politician or leader, they right away they, they say uh, he's right. a... Uh, the other one is, and I'm saying that we should not make any comparisons to the past. There were different times, different cultures, uh, different way of looking at life. But uh, a lot of people, there's a couple of people, particularly one, that said that in the South, we have concentration camps. And that is a lie. We don't have concentration camps here in the country. If you want to compare it, you can compare it to the DP camps, displaced people's camps. These were the camps that were liberated by the allies. They were provided with food, with clothing, with medical care. The threat of death did not exist there. So if you can change uh, anything in your life, is there anything you would change? No, I uh, believe that everything that I went through made me a better person, made me a stronger person. When you overcome adversity, whether you know it or not, and you don't let it uh, affect you negatively, okay, it makes you a stronger person. Let's end the show by sharing 
your charity, how people can support your charity, what is near and dear to you, and tell us why people should be supporting your charity. People should support the charity because it does not benefit me. This is going only for the scholarships. And I know many charities, if they give a prize of $250, they make a big deal out of it. My charity, okay, will uh, provide a scholarship of at least $5,000. The more money we have, the more we can give, the more kids we can give. And at the same time, the organizations they will volunteer for will also get the same amount of money. And what website can they find this charity? nyc.org forward slash Sammy, S-A-M-I. Can you repeat that, please? T-A-M-I-D-N-Y-C.org forward slash Sammy. Tamid, New York City.org forward slash Sammy. Well, any uh, last parting words, Sammy, for the listening audience? Okay, uh, I was very happy when I heard that 12 states mandate genocide, Holocaust, curriculum, education. I was very happy. But when I did the research, I find out that it means nothing. I have spoken for 12 years to approximately 150,000 young people. I found only two teachers that teach genocide and Holocaust for a full year. Wow. Some of them, okay, maybe for a semester. Most of them only for a few days. And there is no specific curriculum. Everybody teaches whatever they understand, whatever they want. And what it has to be, it has to be mandated in every single school, not only when they go to college or when they go to high school. It has to be when they were young, because if they are not taught from the beginning, they will be indoctrinated. Because right now what's happening in the schools, it's indoctrination, it's not education. And once somebody is indoctrinated, it's very difficult to bring him back to reality. So if we don't learn the lessons of the past, we are condemned to repeat those lessons. And that's a great lesson to end the show. Our guest today on The Motivation Show has been Holocaust survivor Sandy Steigman, who is now a motivational speaker. And God bless you for teaching the youth of our country a better way to live. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. We love our listeners, and we believe you have greatness within you. If you like The Motivation Show, we appreciate you subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Check out EliMarcusSuccess.com to hear more inspiring shows and to read our motivational blog. That's EliMarcusSuccess.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.